here it was literally unleashed on my family. Everyone knew I was not ready for that. I was ready for it to stop, but I was not ready to, you know, have people, my parents look at me and cry going through their version of the trauma. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I am your host, Collier Landry. And I want to thank all of my listeners and viewers for tuning in each week for our new episodes, which are released every Friday on your favorite podcast app or on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. Please like and subscribe. And I want to thank you for your support of these very deep and personal conversations that I'm having with you, the audience, sharing my own story about the murder of my mother by my father, but also the stories and experiences of my guests as well. Now, this week is Valentine's Day week. Uh, It was just a couple of days ago. I went back and forth with airing this episode this week, but I've decided to go ahead with it primarily because... A lot of my listeners and viewers have reached out with a specific type of trauma, which is that of sexual assault and specifically sexual assault when they were a minor and how that has affected them. So today's conversation is a very difficult and challenging conversation for a lot of people to have, and it's understandable, but I wanted to give this warning that the material covers incest and it's a very... It's a very difficult topic for a lot of people to confront and to discuss, but it's also something that I feel is a very necessary part of healing is having these conversations. So consider this your warning that this is a episode that is very heavy and some viewers and listeners might feel that this is is a lot to handle, especially on a week all about love and celebration of love. And we're going to flip this on its head and say, what if the people that are supposed to love you the most and protect you the most, that is your family, actually are the ones that are doing you the harm? So today's guest is going to discuss her personal journey through just that. If you or someone you know is struggling or is dealing with sexual violence, sexual assault, molestation, I will put links in the show notes to organizations that you can reach out to to help you with this process. Um, and 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 deal with it because I feel very strongly about this that this is something that it, it can be crippling and debilitating as you come into adulthood to come to grips with. And there's a lot of guilt and shame that are that accompany and unfortunately accompany these types of things, and it doesn't have to be that way. And I'm hoping that this platform enables my viewers and listeners to really feel feel that, that, that it's, it's okay. You're going to get through it. And this is a support base for you. And so I'm sharing the story of uh, this wonderful young woman who is sharing her story with the world. And it has been a, a process for her to go through, but she has ripped the bandaid off and embraced this and used this as a platform for empowerment for not only herself and her journey of healing, but also to heal and nurture others in similar circumstances, much like I did with the murder of my mother. This is Moving Past Murder. I'm Collier Landry. Let's get into it. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Maureen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. I did not kill Maureen. I never harmed her at all. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury in this case, find the defendant guilty. I confront my incarcerated father in prison. I'm going to have that moment where I can ask this man, why, Dad? Why did you do this? Everyone knows it's premeditated. What I want to know is why. Oh, yeah, I have told you the truth. This is a psychopath. He's believing it while he's saying it. Do you think you're a sociopath? No, no, no. My guest today was named one of LinkedIn's 50 most impactful people of 2021. Nancy Barrows is a keynote speaker and the chief excitement officer of The Chick with the Tool Belt. She's also the co-host of What's Good Wednesday and Shout Out Saturday on LinkedIn with her co-host, Brian Schulman. I am pleased to welcome to the program, Nancy Barrows. Thank you for having me, Collier. It's a privilege to be here and share my story always. So you were just named LinkedIn, one of LinkedIn's top 50 most impactful people. So that's quite an honor. So tell me just a little bit about that. It is quite an honor and it was really unexpected 
um, it is voted on by peers, so other LinkedIn users, so it's very meaningful to me. But it also it symbolizes to me that everyone can. In the world of LinkedIn, it's 800 million people, and other people on the list have hundreds of thousands of followers and have been on the platform for years. And I've got about 2,500 followers and I've been on the platform for a year. It just means that anyone can do it, right? In, in a year's time, we all can have a huge impact. Um, we do not have to have a huge number of followers to be having a large impact and be recognized for that impact. It's still, it's still something I'm processing, quite frankly. It's a little surreal, but um, like I said, such an honor voted on by peers and, and that example of anyone can is, is huge for me. That's very cool. Now, Nancy, we know each other uh, because of Brian Schulman, yes, who is your co-host and uh, part of your Voice Revive tribe on LinkedIn. And you guys do like the Shout Out Saturday, What's Good Wednesday programs, which has been running for a very long time, I believe. How long has that been going on? Nearly 200 episodes for each show. I think we're officially at 195 um, this week. And yeah, is Brian Schulman created Voice Revive about three years ago it's passion that he left sort of the corporate world found his path and i've been lucky enough to you know i brian saw something in me and took me under his wing and became a mentor to me and the, the joke about the shows is i would show up and refuse to leave like i showed up one day and refused to leave and so <laughs> over time creating that relationship you know became more and more a part of the family you know, with Brian, we, we do the shows that are all about what exactly what they say, what's good Wednesday, talk about what's good, what's been happening, and shout out Saturday. Shout out to someone who's made a difference and a positive impact in your, your life that week. It's really about shining the spotlight on other people and having fun. Which, of course, you know, as the, the, the last, what, year and a half that we've all come through has been good news is appreciated in, in dark times, I suppose. Absolutely. It's kept a lot of us going to hear that there is good and be reminded. And it's a beautiful, amazing community, that positive vibe tribe. Um, and again, this is this is Brian's baby and I've been I've been brought into it, which again is such an honor. Um, it, it really is a place where you can show up. In a pandemic, that's you know, there's not a whole lot of going on and to remain connected to people was huge for me. Um, and we were a bit into the pandemic by the time I caught on. And I, I hadn't even realized how isolated and alone I'd become because it had become normal for me and for many of us. So, yeah. yeah. So Nancy, after we had met you, you know, I had told you my story and then that resonated with you. And then we kind of got into, you, you felt empowered and, and, and I guess inspired or, or, or safe to tell me your journey that you've been through, which at that time you had told me you just started sharing this journey through, I, I believe the LinkedIn platform. And that was, uh, as a survivor and thriver. Uh, um, from sexual abuse that you suffered as a child. You've used that as a, as a platform to empower others, much like I've done with the murder of my mother by my father. And even though this program is called Moving Past Murder, it's not just a true crime show. It's more about people moving through extraordinary circumstances, facing you know challenges that would cripple most individuals and, and have for so long. And then being able to use those to enrich your life and the lives of those around you. And that's something that I feel you've done and I've certainly tried to as well. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, could you just share with us your story that you, that you shared with me? Sure, I can share with you both the LinkedIn journey and the actual story that was being told. So I've been pretty open with people I know about my story. You know, I've, I've, I've had the face-to-face -face conversations. It's not something I hide in my daily life, but to have said it out loud on a platform like LinkedIn where there's 800 million people when you never planned to um, was a big shift. I mean, in a, in a wonderful way. Uh, I had never put my story out there where I didn't know who was gonna hear it. I didn't know where it was gonna go, but I was doing a live event and kept talking about childhood trauma and my childhood trauma. And I realized in the moment, like Nancy, you're part of the problem. If you won't say the words, how can you expect anyone else to talk about it? And in that moment, it just was what felt needed to happen. And, and I was inspired to do so. And it started this amazing journey. So to back up with the story to the story itself, you know, um, I was, and again, I know this is a hard topic to talk about. So before I dive right in, I, I like to give everyone permission to react 
However, like whatever comes up for them is without judgment for me. And if you're having the feeling, I've probably had the feeling. Um, sure. Yeah. Right? There's really zero judgment for me. Um, but I was sexually abused by my grandfather and it started around the age of four or five years old and it continued until I was 16. And at 16, the reason it actually stopped and I had no idea that these things existed or were in place, but a mandated reporter um, said, you know, did what they were supposed to do. They reported it to the proper agencies and, you know, this process was launched. And so um, I had carefully guarded the secret my whole life as if my life depended on it because that's what it felt like. Um, and here it was literally unleashed on my family. Everyone knew I was not ready for that. I was ready for it to stop, but I was not ready to, you know, have people, my parents look at me and cry going through their version of the trauma of questioning themselves. So, you know, at 16 years old, I said something to another friend and I give her a lot of credit for saying something to an adult. And here I am. I, I was at a summer program at the time and some of the people at the program said, we have to tell your parents, this is, this is what has to happen. So we have to do that. What we can do is give you the choice of our calling them and telling them or your calling them and telling them. And, you know, I've made so many choices in this journey that were from, I don't know where from, you know, and I, I'm sure you've had similar moments where you don't know where this voice or choice comes from, but it's deep within you and it's been there the whole time. And so given the choice, I said, no, I, I want to tell them. I wanted it to come from me. I didn't want it to come from a stranger. And so, yeah, I call mom and dad from the summer program. It's like, you know, I'm, hi, how are you? Great. I have to tell you something. And you know, I, I told them that my grandfather had been inappropriate with me. They were and are continue to be the most perfect parents for me. Their receiving of the news and how they handled everything moving forward, and we can talk in detail more about that, um, really shaped my recovery, quote unquote recovery. My, my, my journey back to wholeness is probably a better way of describing it. Um, because they, one of their questions to me at the time was, do you want us to pick you up? And I said, no, I'm happy here. Like I was happy and safe in my summer program, nothing was happening. So yeah. within the first few hours of my abuse being disclosed, I was given two really important choices that gave me control in a time that I had none. It, it, it also told me that people around me trusted my gut, my intuition, my decisions, and I could trust myself because there was a lot um, of time like, I don't know, my gut told me one thing, but something else was happening. It's so confusing at that point, what's right? What, what do I want? What do I need? What, what is my, you know, what is, what, what is, what are my cells telling me is to do here? And so where, where this got ripped from me and unleashed to it without knowing it, two huge gifts were given to me, these people, by asking me questions, giving me a choice, letting me have that bit of control of how things would go where I could. Um, and again, it was huge reinforcement that I could trust myself. Other people trusted me. Um, so that happens. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this week's episode of Moving Past Murder. I wanna remind everyone that I go live on Instagram every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern time on my Instagram channel, which is at Collier Landry on Instagram. I answer your live questions and answers and discuss this week's latest episode. So please join me at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, every single Tuesday for live Q&A with me, your host, Collier Landry. I'll see you there. So I, I, I want to just touch upon something that you said, and it's very interesting to hear you because you, you echo a lot of my sentiments. So I did a Ted talk a couple of years ago um, about my, my pursuit to move through my trauma and sort of my idea of that an action when you're going through trauma. So for me, I know that my mother is dead when I wake up the morning of December 31st and I immediately spring into action. Like I'm going to not let my, I'm not going to let my father get away from, get away with this. Right. 
So that started this whole journey that 25 days later, they dig her body up from my father's house in another state and this, that, and the other, right? But one of the things that I, I've been very, and I feel that I was blessed and I feel that you were blessed in that same way, despite the horrific circumstances surrounding this, is that you were given a choice right then to tell your parents and to take action. And I feel a lot of times because, especially as a child, right? And you're, you don't really understand the, the concept of good and evil and, and, and how cruel this world can be at times. Um, but being given the opportunity to sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, play grown up, or at least lean into it and go, okay, well, now I'm going to do something about it is very empowering. And I feel a lot of times that the opposite happens for, for children uh, that are in situations like this, where they become coddled by the parents and not saying that your parents didn't love and care about you, but they tend to, to coddle the, the child and, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this is something that shouldn't be done that you shouldn't take care of your, your children or you shouldn't, you, you shouldn't love them and, and, and hold them. But it feels a lot of times when you, when the parent takes, then takes over, it makes the child feel more helpless. And I feel that even with the fact that my family did abandon me, you know, father's side said, look, you're, you know, you're testifying against your father. I mean, I'm the reason why he even got caught. And then the, the my mother's side of the family, because of what he did to my, my cousins had wanted nothing to do with me. I was sort of forced into that situation to just deal with it. But I feel at the end of the day, as hard as it was, I'm better off for it. And I feel that you're echoing that same thing. It was a very long way winded way of saying, I feel you. <laughs> and I, I, I understand and, and I can empathize with that. And, and really, and I think that's why when you and I initially had a conversation, you, you felt that for me and we, we just connected on that level. It's even though our trauma is different in circumstance, it's still something. And, and we're always looking to ways to take power over that but also empower others. And I feel when people reach out to me after seeing the film, they, they become my vulnerability in the film, your vulnerability with telling your story publicly in the last year and, and change uh, really inspires people to, to, to take a look at their own life and go, okay, if they can do it, I can do it too. Absolutely. I agree. And there's so much that you're saying is like, you know, with me and with you too, what happened first happened to us without a choice. Yes. We had no control over it. So that whole piece of saying, no, I have a choice here was very new for me. And it sounds like from what I know about you, um, because of the way your household was with your dad and who he was, you didn't have a lot of choices either. Lots of things were happening to you as well. And so that piece of being given some control was tremendous. And I say all the time and, and people, aren't always sure how it could possibly be, but I'm grateful for all of it. Yeah, and me too. It took me a long time to be grateful for all of it, but I'm grateful for all of it because several things. One thing is the conversation we're having is like, I can understand, I can empathize, right? I've got that piece. And it's not just with other, with people who've had, you know, circumstances that mirror mine, it's any trauma. It's sort of a silly thing to say, but the beauty of trauma is it's it's pretty well prescriptive on what, what happens or what could happen, which means it doesn't have to be the same trauma for us to understand the steps, to understand the feelings, to understand the reactions. We can all do that for one another. The circumstances might've been different, um, but our ability to understand, right? And, and have gone through at least some of the similar steps toward our journey in becoming whole and healed we're similar. We, we, we've had to jump a lot of the same hurdles. So I appreciate being able to do that. I, um, I believe that my, I've always believed that my story was bigger than me. It wasn't about me. And so I didn't know how or when or where it was going to happen, but I knew it, it was going to reach people and I knew it was going to help people. And the beauty is I started telling my story knowing it was going to help others. It was going to impact others. It was giving permission. It would make them feel less alone, seen, just whatever it was. They weren't the only one. And I never expected, 
it, w- it sort of was a, I, I, it would be really nice if someone reached out to me and I could know for certain, right? Um, but it really was doing it knowing it was going to help someone. And then when people started to contact me is when I first really started to understand the power of sharing my story. Because as you said earlier, like in the opening, there are so many people who go through trauma who don't have the positive supports and circumstances that you and I did. So when you think about sexual abuse, I did experience an eating disorder. I've experienced major depressive episodes. The thing I struggle with today is still my mood, Um, but I was somehow able, my four or five-year-old got me to survive till six, till seven, till eight, till all the way through until I had this opportunity to actually deal with it. And from there, again, all of the pieces that fell into place that allowed me to get through it as a whole human being is another extraordinary step. I didn't turn to drugs. I didn't become promiscuous. I didn't, there are so many pitfalls in there um, of ways people numb their pain or choose to beat themselves up because that's how they're feeling. Like they feel that's what they deserve. Uh, I didn't do that. And then when I found my voice and could tell my story, that's where it became extraordinary to me. And that's what I was hearing from other people. It's my life. I've, I've lived this life. So none of it is extraordinary. Sure, sure. Here, right? It's when other people hear it, I get, they're like, whoa, that's a lot. But what, what was extraordinary about it is that I can come through it the way I did and talk about it and help others. And that to me is, is huge, right? That's, that's the piece that was always bigger than me. Um, there's just, again, so many pieces and things that I've been through that have made me who I am today. And it took me a really long time to say, I like who I am. I sure. like who I am. I mean, I was, you talked to me in my late teens and twenties. I, I was broken beyond repair. That's what I would have told you. Broken beyond repair, which is another reason why I think it's really important that we share the ugly, snotty, unsexy middle parts because oh, absolutely. you show up and you hear or see me today. And it's like, how am I relatable to someone that's, you know, in the thick of it? I didn't, I didn't get out of it. I didn't shower. I hated the world. I went through a lot of ugly, snotty, unsexy in the middle. And I think that's the part really, we're all out here living life. And it's always incredible to me, we're all out here living life. So we know how hard it can be, how much it can suck, but no one wants to talk about it or post about it. Yeah. And so that was, that was the space I showed up in. And I created the hashtag radiating real campaign for that reason. Let's just show up as we are. Take off your mask, receive that unconditional love, receive that unconditional acceptance and learn to live in that space. For many of us, it's very uncomfortable to actually be seen and heard. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, It's interesting with radiating real. And one of the things when I made the film is there was a, there's a point in the, in the film when I go to the police station with the lead investigator, Dave Messmore, and I look at the case file, which has photos of my mother's body. And when I was in that, before we filmed that scene, uh, Dave Messmore, the detective and his wife were like, you're not going to see this. And I said, and I never didn't want to, it wasn't like, Oh, I, I really want to do this. But, uh, but part of me did. And, and, and was even maybe be even more accountable to this is the fact that I said, this is what I'm doing here. We're making a film and this is about vulnerability and being authentic. And this is the, like you said, the snotty real part that, you know, the snotty unsexy part is, 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 allowing yourself to break down those walls and, and just be like, this is me. I'm just exposed. This is who I am. And and when I think about just stories that I gravitate to toward, uh, not even think about my own story, but stories that I gravitate toward with, with yours or whoever it might be, that is what rings the truest to me. And I don't even think that I would necessarily have to be someone who has gone through the circumstances that I've gone through to feel that way. I think that just human connection, when you see that, you know, there are people of course that will take advantage of that as a weakness, but I think for the most part, the, the deeper part of the human connection is that we really just go, that radiates with us and we go, that could be me. 
or that's been me, you know? And, and for me, when I sat to make the film, I said, you know, I want to, I want to change my life and impact one person. And that's it. Cause I thought there's a kid just like me is going through all of this and just doesn't think that there's a hope in the world. They'll see the film and they'll go, okay, that guy gets me. Right. And I feel that that's with your story as well and sharing it publicly is, is the goal is just to speak to that one voice. And then of course, what happens is, is you, is you find out that, that, that one person is actually 10, which becomes a hundred, which becomes a thousand and 10,000, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's the true power of not only the human connection and, and, and the human spirit, but also showing resilience in the face of, you know, seemingly unsurmountable odds. Yeah, and that's that, like you said, is the human part, right? Um, that's what resonates with us. If you're telling this impactful emotional story and, and, and in the circumstance for the first time, like on, I've seen your film and it is moving, it would have been really weird for you to cut out the part where you cry. Because like, are you human? Like what, what, what happened to that piece? And I think our showing up is vulnerable and I think especially men showing up vulnerable because they're told it's a weakness and we need to flip the script and be like, no, our vulnerability is our greatest strength, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Strength, strength and vulnerability for sure. Now, I, I want to touch upon this because, you know, when you and I were discussing doing this episode of Moving Past Murder, one of the things you wanted to really be clear about is is you feel in, in your work that you've discovered that a lot of people, when they hear the term sexual violence, sexual assault, they just attribute that to women. And as we know, and, and unless, and I, and you know, we, we, we engaged, I said in this conversation before the conversation we're having now, but one of the things I wanted to say is, you know, unless it involves like some organization of the Catholic church, that's got that sexy and, Oh, you know, taboo feel to it. And, you know, priests or pedophiles narrative, we don't really think about that. And I know that that's something you're really you're you're really passionate about is examining that. So, have you found out? Have you found that the people that may reach out to you are of both sexes and are are dealing with the same sort of trauma? Yes, and I think for me, um, we do. We leave men out of the narrative, right? That's it's the statistics show us that men are experiencing sexual trauma, you know, right along with women, um, and if. When I started telling my story, I wanted to change, I wanted to be the woman who changed the narrative on sexual abuse because I will be 49 in a couple of weeks. I was 16 when my abuse first came out. The needle hasn't moved at all. Like we are no more comfortable talking about, the statistics have not shifted. There's been no change. So yes, we need to talk about it, but we have to have real honest conversations about it that are uncomfortable. And so like one of the things I say when I speak is, Listen, my body did exactly what it should do. And it's an uncomfortable conversation to hear that sexual touch, my abuse, had pleasure associated with it. But there's someone out there that's feeling that, that's been in that situation and feels all the things I did, dirty, guilty, broken, wrong, what, you know, because I didn't want this, but my body did exactly what it was built to do. So these, these conversations are not easy, but they need to be had because it's where there's been no change. There's been none, right? So honest conversations include the fact that men are sexually assaulted. They go through sexual trauma. No one's immune to this. You know, part of a real honest conversation has to be us taking responsibility for how we are handling it or not handling it. Are we having those important conversations with our children? Everybody thinks it's a sex talk. And I'm here to tell you it is not. It is the farthest thing from a sex talk. It is a boundaries talk. It is a con having control over your person and your space talk. You know, when my nieces and nephews were little in the bathtub when I would bathe them, you know, when they got old enough to sort of like participate in the bath process, I always asked, is it okay if I wash your vagina? Right? Because it's not my body it's yours and I I can help you and I want to make sure that you're clean because the whole point of your bath is to get your body clean but I can teach you how to clean your own body and I asked every time 
because one week it might have been a yes and then next week it might have been a no and that was perfectly fine and that's what we need to do we need to talk to our kids about the boundaries and we need to be okay with their choices now the other side of that is we have to hold up our bargain as adults um, and whether it's a child that comes to us or an adult who's 50 years old and has never told anyone that 50 year old is still the child that went through the trauma when yeah yeah absolutely and we as adults have to make a promise and keep a promise that we are going to be able to lovingly non-judgmentally accept both what someone is saying and the person i was so worried when people found out about my abuse that they would completely change how they thought about me how they felt about me you know i had all these thoughts about myself my abuse went on until i was 16 years old of course i knew it was wrong hey guess what i never thought of saying no i never thought of telling anyone it just was not an option and so at some point my brain is like wow well i guess you're participating you're just as at fault as he is right there's there's so much going on but we need to be the people who say thank you for sharing that with me i know that couldn't have been easy like i love you i'm proud of you and and whatever our reaction is that would be the you know full-on emotional outburst because we feel it right um we have to reserve that for our own time um and i think we're all capable of it and the the honest truth is if we were talking to our kids and we held up our end of the bargain um, there'd be very few places for perpetrators to hide. You know, I used to say to my brother, and hey, my brother, his sister was sexually abused by his grandfather. He didn't talk to caregivers about anything. Um, and I said to him one day, I said, no, no, any caregiver, even a teacher, you leave them at preschool, pull them aside, have a conversation and let them know, hey, we talk to our kids about boundaries in their bodies. And if they were to come to you during the day while they're with you, um, we expect for you to handle it this way, right? This is what we've told them people will do if they ever need to tell someone. And I need, like, we need you to do that. So it does two things, right? It's now informing another adult about hopefully thinking, wow, I wouldn't have thought to do that necessarily. But again, if, if someone is a predator, they're looking for certain things. If they know that their secret won't be kept, they're not going to take even that first step in the grooming process. It's too much risk. So once we start having these conversations and get comfortable with being uncomfortable, things start to change. And that's true with most things, right? We, we Absolutely. It's interesting that you bring up the narrative with children and talking to them. Uh, you know, I, I watched a TED talk probably a couple of years ago. This woman did on pornography and, uh, her experience with it as far as studying, I believe she was a psychologist who's from like Norway or Sweden or one of those advanced Scandinavian countries. As progressive as our society has gotten, I feel in, in a great many ways, and we've made major progress in, uh, despite what the political narrative is on you know, uh, racial justice and, and equality of the sexes and things of that nature. Of course, we have farther to go, but one of the things that has not advanced, at least in my opinion, I think maybe you're of the same mindset, is uh, the narrative on on sex, <laughs> on discussion around sex, human sexuality, uh, discussion around sex education in schools and even just in amongst families, whether that has to do with a religious element or just a taboo element or whether it's just a topic that's just very uncomfortable for people still. But one of the key things that I, I took away from that particular talk just because you don't talk to your kids about sex doesn't mean that they're not going to learn. And one of the things that she was saying is pornography is now being used as sex education for these kids and how that is creating a whole different narrative. And, and I had a, I had a friend whose daughter was uh, recently sexually assaulted and raped um, in the last week. And it's very tragic and heartbreaking. And, and she was uh, drugged and, it's just terrible. She's very young. She's 20, 20 something, 24, I believe. And it, it doesn't matter what age, really. But obviously, you know, it, it's the violation. And it, 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 we can go into that in a second. But the brutality of what this guy did. And, and so this particular talk was you saying, if you look at pornography, you have sexual violence and you have people choking, there's choking involved, and then there's aggressive behavior. But then on top of that, there's this, this, this 
undertone of incest and stepmom, stepson, you know, stepfather, stepdaughter, father, daughter, you know, whatever it is. And it's just, that's what's out there. And if we don't, I mean, I personally feel if we don't, and not that I have children, but if we don't start to control this narrative, then we're just letting these things do our dirty work for us because we don't want to get our hands dirty or we don't want to have those uncomfortable conversations. And, you know, given your circumstance, where, where do you think it is that we can really begin to take back that narrative for ourselves and really control what the conversation is? Where, where do you think that even starts? I mean, it has to start. If we can't talk about healthy sex, we're never going to be able to talk about the things that happen in the world of quote unquote deviance, right? That are outside of that, the rape, the incest, all that kind of stuff, even, you know, exposing young people to porn, you know, where there's a, there's a, there's such a spectrum of sexual trauma out there. Um, we don't often talk about some of the less egregious offenses um, because rape and molestation, right? That's knocks you off your feet. But it's also not fair because people who have experienced different sexual traumas start to doubt if it's really sexual trauma. It's like people will give themselves the report, well, mine wasn't as bad as yours. Well, trauma is trauma, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And it's, our, it's when your system is overloaded, it can't handle it, it has a trauma response. So whatever it is, right, if your system is overloaded, you know, it's it's trauma. And so it's not belittle that. But if we can't talk about healthy sex, right, how are we going to talk about anything else around sex? So for me, it starts really early again, when I was bathing my nieces and nephews, two, three years old, say vagina, say penis, like label, we can't even as a society label things in the body, like as properly. We have all these names for them that make it seem shameful, right? That removing that shame around sex in our bodies is key. Um, there's, you know, again, brought up porn and I have a lot of opinion about porn, but you know, I think in a lot of ways it's damaging in in general, but I think about like, well, there's nothing real, realistic about porn sex. I mean, and, and even if you've had sex that way, I'm sorry, there was some awkward moment. There was some weird noise that happened there. Like sex never goes off like without a hitch, even when it's perfect. You know, there's always something. Yeah. You know, I always say like, if you're ready to have sex, it's yes, you have to be able to buy the condoms. If you're ready to buy the condoms, but you also have to be ready for things to happen that are really awkward, weird, and potentially horrifying, right? If depending on the situation. And again, that, that piece of like, well, that's not showing like what sex is. And it also is setting up these really huge expectations, not only of like, you know, how we should perform, you know, both sides, like how long, how fast, how hard, you know, how loud we should be. Like it's, it's all there and it's, it's prescribing one way of doing it right. Forget about, we haven't even started talking about body image that comes like through porn of, you know, everything from, you know, like I'm too fat, my boobs aren't perfect, my, my vagina's not shaped completely, no one's gonna love me, you know, to men and, and, and of course, worrying about their size and their performance and, and what we're seeing and what kids are, are being exposed to adults too, right, is, is not sex, it's, it's a movie. It's, yeah. a, it's creative fiction. And again, even if you've been in those scenarios, right, it's, it's the lighting isn't perfect, the body isn't perfect, you know, whatever, something is, it doesn't go, it's just not how sex works. So I think we, again, have to be comfortable talking about our bodies. We have to be comfortable being honest about sex. Um, and I won't say, you know, if you're religious and you, you believe it should be with a married man and woman, then at least teach your child that and what sex is, what sex means there, right? I remember sure. um, my brother's four years older than I, I remember being at the dinner table with my family, uh, always ate dinner together is one of the things that we made sure we made time for. Um, and I remember they were talking about foreplay and I had no idea what they were talking about. And I was getting really frustrated. I was like, what are you talking about? What are you? And like, I got really upset and left the table and you know, like nobody was comfortable telling me what it was. And eventually, you know, they, someone came to me and was like, Hey, this is like kind of all the stuff that happens before sex. It's all the sexual touching. It's, a, and you know, not more information than I needed. But to understand, you know, all the parts and pieces 
And, you know, for me, I had so much more um, sexual experience and knowledge than the average kid my age always. Um, and it was always fun to try and hide that too. Like, I, you know, like your friends are talking and I'm like, I'm full of shit. Like, that's not exactly how <laughs> You didn't do that because that's not. <laughs> but, right. so it, it's, there's so many parts and pieces. It, it, and I keep saying that, but my brain could go to another and another and another. And the reality is when you start getting comfortable talking about our bodies, what our bodies are capable of, pleasure, sex is meant to be pleasurable, right? Yes, it has the other, uh, uh, there's other pieces that are for procreation, but it doesn't mean when you're having sex to try and get pregnant, it doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. <laughs> so again, I think we just have to, like everything else we don't talk about, like get a little uncomfortable because in the end, that conversation is gonna be so valuable um, and allow, you know, even if the conversation is about, well, you know, I know sometimes you see in pornography, like, you know, a guy will hit a woman or pull her hair, you know, sure. that, that's not something everyone enjoys. I mean, you, you don't have to say yes to that. That's no. not, right. So like, even those conversations, which I can imagine, like, I don't have kids either. My nieces and nephews were always like my babies. And I was the aunt that had the talk. You know, I remember when my oldest niece was getting her period, I brought her a little thing and I was like, here's an extra pair of underwear because inevitably you're going to bleed through. So here they are. You don't want to leave the dirty ones in the trash. So here's a Ziploc bag. Put those, in, put those in here, put them back. Here's a tampon. Do you want to know how to use it? Let me show you what happens when I put it in a sink full of water. This is what's going to happen. This is why you can just rest, relax, and know that if you're doing what you need to do, you're like, you know what I mean? Like, you're, pretty, you're pretty advanced. You're an advanced uh, auntie. I'm an advanced auntie. I'm an advanced auntie who never wanted them to feel shame around their bodies. Yeah. The way I did. And I knew the world would be sending them all sorts of messages. It's a it's a myriad of things that creates the, these issues, I believe. It's you can't just pin it on one belief system or one way of life. It 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 just it crosses the whole spectrum. Getting back to your your process of reconciling with what happened to you as a child and carrying that into an adult into adulthood and i think that there are probably people who are listening who are of course empathizing with your situation may have gone through a similar situation but also uh i'm, I'm sure a lot of our, our my listeners and, and viewers really want to know is when this happened and it came and you and you took the step to tell your parents and your family how how did they cope how did how was that received by them what was their what was their reaction i wasn't there to see my mom mom and dad's reaction because i was uh you know yeah. but i know on the phone they were very calm and i know that's not how they were feeling inside and they again you know sort of in shock but you know, asked some clarifying questions, but didn't ask too much and again, gave me control to stay. Um, I did, however, see my brother's reaction. My brother and I have been very close, have always been very close. And I remember telling him and him having no reaction. And that freaking me out. Like that was scarier to me than any, like having any reaction. And I remember going into my closet and crying because I was like, I have no idea what he's thinking or feeling about me, the situation. I got nothing, I have no idea. And about three minutes later, the door opens and he sits on the floor with me and we sat there crying for a while. You know, like it, it, it wasn't easy to see people's hurt because in the beginning, I very felt, very much felt that I was, I was causing all this hurt when the reality was that hurt was always being caused. It just wasn't out there. Um, you know, it was, it wasn't my doing. Um, it wasn't my oh. doing. And everyone around me would have rather been hurting together knowing that I wasn't safe um, is the reality. And it took me years to actually stop and think about that each one of those people in my life went through their own healing journey with trauma because sure. we're all traumatized. I mean, you know, my mom, it's her dad. My parents thought they were good parents that were making good decisions and you know, people always say, well, aren't there signs? Shouldn't they have been able to see or tell? Well, I'll tell you something. Right, exactly. The yeah. old eye roll of like, wait till, wait till you're there. And I will remind you as a teenager, did you ever fake your parents out? 
right? Were you ever able to go to the party that they said no to, do whatever you did, come home and they still didn't know, right? We're all capable of acting. When you feel your life depends on it, I was an Oscar worthy actress in terms of keeping my secret. You know, I was captain of my volleyball team, president of my class. I did volunteer work for the American Cancer Society. I was in the right social spaces. There was no reason to look at me twice. There was a very scary moment. My mom said, actually, when I started telling my story, I then went back and said, oh, hey, mom, dad, you're okay with this. And again, I've said a million times, my mom and dad are the perfect mom and dad for me because the two reactions I got, like my mom was like, it's your story. I'm so proud of you. Right. That was, that was her thing. And she relayed to me a story of, I had court order therapy um, in the very beginning and I went and I, I couldn't, I, there was nothing to be done. I, I would say, Oh, did you move a plant? Like that was about as far as like I could get in the session. And I would turn around on the couch and literally I'm, I'm five, eight. And I was able to curl myself into this little ball, face the corner and just sit like an egg in the corner for the entire 15 minutes. And my parents came to a session at the end and, you know, the, the doctor said, she's not ready when she was, she'll knock on someone's door. And as soon as he said it was done, I turned around and I was like this. And my mom said it terrified her. Terrified her because she had never seen that. She'd never seen what I was going through, you know, all of that I was covering up. And she was worried I wouldn't make it. Um, in seeing that moment and, you know, when I told her I was telling my story, there was pride and celebration because again, she she saw it at its worst, at its worst. And to see me come through it. Now my dad is, you know, he's just a little bit different in his vernacular. And I mean he's like, you know, if somebody wants to come to me, like, I can't believe your dad is talking about it. He's like, that's fine, I'll tell him that's my kick ass daughter. Enough <laughs> uh. said. Yeah, that that was it. And and to give full permission, I, this is another thing. While my family handled this together and did a really great job of handling this together, my mom and I can have conversations about it. We can have conversations about what I'm doing, when she can watch the talks I do and, you know, shows that I'm on. My dad can't. He still can't. It, it's still something that is too painful for him, even though, and we've had this brief conversation of, even though you see me now today and know that I'm okay, it just still hurts his heart that I had to go through so much. Um, sure. Yeah, and so I don't want anyone to judge how they handle it, right? It's, most of my family, my brother and sister-in-law, can't watch the shows either. You know, it's just, it's too much. Um, and I think, you know, I always warn them, there's there's really not a whole lot of detail about what happened, but there are going to be things that you haven't heard before, right? So just for them to be prepared for that. But yeah, my my journey, it, it, it was long. It was steps forward, steps back. It was believing I was broken beyond repair. It was going to bed at night. I, I'm grateful I never had true suicidal ideation that I would talk to the universe and say, hey, tomorrow someone's going to get a terminal cancer diagnosis. Someone who has a family, they really want to live. Give it to me instead. You know, if I had gotten hit by a bus or in a car, like it, didn't, it didn't matter to me at, at, at certain points. And there were times I remember conversation with my therapist which is a whole other conversation of how do you find your therapist how do you know it's your therapist like sheesh our mental health system way inaccessible um sadly another conversation like i said but yeah. you know, um she was telling me like i i felt like i was stuck and i was getting nowhere and it was always going to be like this and she's like well what if i told you there's a piece of chocolate cake on that island and you have to swim there right you're, you're gonna you're gonna swim there to get it because it's there. I'm telling you it's there. Um, and I said to her, I'm like, I don't like chocolate cake that much. <laughs> Literally, like I, I was like, I don't care about it. The cake doesn't mean anything to me. It was so far removed from what I was feeling and ever thought I was capable of. You know, I was anorexic for years and there is a control piece there for sure. But what I understand about myself now is I was punishing my body. Like it had betrayed me in the abuse. Why would I nourish it and feed it? Like, why would I do that? And quite honestly, back to that, I wasn't suicidal, but I wanted to disappear. And I was gonna do it by any means possible. Right? If I if I could shrink myself down to nothing and fall through a crack, that would be just fine by me. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's really, really powerful what you're saying. And I, and I can relate to it on so many levels. Um, yeah, a lot of people, uh, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with, with retreating and assessing and, 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 and grieving in, in a lot of ways. You have to sort of grieve that that loss of your yourself in those moments and that's just all part of the healing process and it's 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 wonderful to have an open conversation with you about this because it's i really feel that a lot of our a lot of my viewers are gonna are gonna really really enjoy this this uh episode thank you and that's the that's the thing this is that ugly snotty and sexy part let's talk about the two steps forward the one step back they mentioned before um you know, I, I wasn't this person my whole life. You go and take snapshots of me. It was, it was very different. I mean, I confronted my grandfather when I was 20 years old and experienced my first major dep depressive episode. And I ended up dropping out of college. I was probably in my forties before I could even say I dropped out of college. I left, I took a semester. No, I dropped out. I was a hot mess and I dropped out of college. You know, the confrontation was a so much with that and, and we can talk about that but I think for most people this piece where we can talk about steps forward and steps back or just not believing there's an outcome out there um, that you want to live is very real and it's okay to pause like you said I, it's okay to pause it's not okay to stop and our, our ability to build community around us and you know have our resources and remind ourselves like when you feel in that moment you can't make it to another moment like you already have by the time you've had the thought you made it to another moment and another moment and for me i always say i made it through 100 percent when i'm there because it still happens to this day there are days where i'm like i can't i just can't can't i don't want to and i can't and i don't care right i don't even care that i don't care um i've made it through 100 percent of my worst days already and so have I. Yes. Um, and this is why you are one of LinkedIn's top 50 most impactful people of 2021. Uh, Nancy Barrows, thank you so much for joining the program. My guest has been Nancy Barrows and just a wonderful conversation. I hope you guys gleaned as much from this as I did. For now, I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. All of these help support the conversations. And if you want to go a step further, we do have a Patreon page. We also have a PayPal link to donate to the program, which helps keep the lights on and keeps us delivering the material that I feel speaks best to you, my audience. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment.